that, you know, the spirits are real. Uh, there is an element that they show us and an element that they don't. The mode of communication that we use to contact them really matters in what we get. Window is open. This, this, you know, not, it's not like glass, it's just an opening. And there are these mummified sadhus, what looks like mummified sadhus in there. Nothing like made it more apparent that there is that there is something what the Tibetans call chinlop is is just real and visceral. Because it's like all of a sudden you've had like six espressos. As these things sort of touch you, your body instantly changes. Welcome to the Spirit Box Podcast, where we explore folklore, magic, and the world of the spirits and everything in between. For episode 71, it's my great pleasure to welcome Jason Miller. He has written five books, including the now classic Protection and Reversal Magic, and he teaches a number of courses online, including the Strategic Sorcery Training Course, the Black School of St. Cyprian, and the Sorcery of Hecate. In his 20s, he was initiated into a coven that worked witchcraft along the lines of mastering witchcraft, joined the OTO and the Chthonic Oranian Temple. In his mid-twenties, he took his first tantric initiation into Vajra Kilaya. He devoted the next several years to the study of Tantra and Himalayan magic in general. Eventually, he moved to Nepal. In Nepal, he spent a lot of time at the cremation grounds of Pashupatina, meditating on impermanence. And on one occasion, he got to glimpse inside a normally closed structure and straw an extraordinary sight. He had the presence of mind to take a photograph. Now, our mutual friend Lonnie Scott, the host of Weird Web Radio, and do subscribe to Lonnie's show, is fantastic. He passed the photo on to me on Jason's request, as he knew why I'd spent a lot of time in Nepal, to see if I knew what it was. I didn't, but maybe you do. If you're a Plus member, you'll have already seen the photograph. But if you're listening to the regular show, you can check the YouTube version and see the photograph there. It's quite remarkable. Now, we also discuss um, some of the, the interesting uh, experiences that Jason had with spirit in his in his younger years. And in the plus section, we get into the nature of the separation between Eastern and Western thinking and whether it's actually all that different at all. We also discuss the purba, the razor nail of Indo-Tibetan Buddhism, Bon and Indian Vedic traditions, and the remarkable origin of Jason's relationship with Hikate. If you'd like to hear the Plus Show, then sign up for the Patreon for the extended show and a host of other benefits. And before we start, as is tradition, a big thank you to the Ank Patreon members. Ikaro, William O, Robert W, Roland B, Steph, Tim, Tao, Wei, Pamela, Michelle, Merrily, Marco, Jen, Hannah, Flora, Eric, Desiree, Austin, Ali, Carrie S, Brennan, Tyler, and Madeline. Thank you all for your support. It's um, I couldn't do this without you, so thank you so much. Um, if Patreon isn't your thing, then you can always buy me a coffee via the show notes, or you can give me a positive review. Give me the old five stars. I'm always interested in people's experiences with the other, from hauntings to shadow people, so if you have a story to tell, reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you. Right, let's get on with the show. Jason Miller, you're very welcome to Spirit Box. 
Well, thank you for having me. Oh, it's an it's an absolute pleasure. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, we were just we were just chatting here before I hit record about kind of the the purpose of this show, really to kind of interview people who've had um, who've taken a kind of a magical journey in their or their lives have taken a magical perspective or indeed started to dominate their lives and had a calling in that area and. One of the reasons I wanted to talk to you, um, a because I, I, as I said, read your books and, and it forms part of my my own, my own practice. But um, one area in particular that really kind of jumped out at me was your um, your your work in Nepal, your time in Nepal, and um, um, our, our our mutual uh, friend Lonnie Scott. Um, kind of, I, I guess somehow acted as an intercedery between the two of us um, uh, via email uh, some stage last year with uh, a photograph of um, the, the cremation grounds in Nepal, the Pashnapata. I can, I can never pronounce it correctly. Um, but Pashpadina. That's it. That's it. Um, and an incredible photograph that, that you shared. And really, uh, that photograph saved me for a long time. And being a photographer... These things tend to, <laughs> tend to go that way. Um, so, yeah, one of, the, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you um, was was around your time in Nepal and, and really how um, initiatory that was for you. Um, but before we get into that, I'd really like to go way back. And in, in your bio, you talk about strange experiences you had when you were a child, when you were just five. And I was wondering if you'd be happy to, to share some of those with us. Yeah. So, you know, this, um, this was, I, I remember distinctly, I don't actually remember a ton about, uh, the time really like before, like seven, eight years old. Uh, but I remember this, I was at a playground and I was looking down at the sand. Uh, you know, this is this is back in the 70s. So playgrounds were just sand and metal and concrete and, you know, something no one you, you would have to put helmets and pads on kids to let them play in there today. But, uh, you know, we all just played in there. So I don't know if anything happened like a head injury or anything. I just remember looking down at the sand and then looking up. But when I looked up, it was like I looked up from the entire world like everything around me was actually just a flat painting and i suddenly was looking up out of that painting uh at, at a whole other world or or worlds really um and i came back out of it it was it was weird but you know the reason that i remember it is I remember thinking that this felt more real than anything else. And, and that was around the time I started to question like whether all the things I'm experiencing around me are real uh, or if they're a pale imitation. And I know that's like sort of, you know, Plato's cave kind of thing, but this was, this was, I mean, a very real experience for me. And it, 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 it set up a chain of experiences where I would be out or at home and 
everything would just seem to freeze. And I would have these experiences of long, tall, shadowy figures. Um, and I could not hear the words they were discussing, but I could hear them discussing me. Um, and, and noticing that I was noticing them. And then it would all go back. But I mean, th like things that are just impossible. Like I would be in the back seat of the car while my mother and grandmother were carting me around somewhere. And then they would disappear, like literally not be in the front seat of that car. And I would just be in the back. And then even though there was no seat behind me, I would sense these beings in the back behind me. Um, and then it stopped. It went away, you know, as things do. But it never it never left me. So years later, um, as I, you know, as, as, when you're an early teen and you're starting to claw around the world for who I am, what are the things that, that grab me? What, what interests me? You know, uh, my kids are doing that right now. Like, am, am I a computer person? Am I an art person? Am I, you know, am I into this or that? And, uh, you know, I read a book for young readers called eyes of the tarot it was a short novel i don't i don't think it's particularly brilliant or anything but it just grabbed me and i talked to a t and it reminded me of all these experiences and i talked uh to a teacher in high school uh the talented and gifted teacher and she a couple days later gives me a tarot deck because I didn't know where to get a tarot deck at the time. I I thought you you know they maybe they were something super special because I couldn't drive yet, so I didn't really know that you could just buy one at the bookstore. Um, so she gives me a Rider Waite tarot and uh, gives me some basic psychic protection instructions, and I buy some books and discuss them with her and with some other friends that took an interest and the ball just started rolling from there and life has been weird ever since. <laughs> I love that life has been weird ever since. Um, that's it. It's, that's so cool that your teacher did that for you. That's really, um, really quite special to have someone in, in, in your life um, to kind of really, I guess, step over the, 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 the teacher pupil relationship and, 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 and give you a gift like that. It's amazing how these people yeah. tend to turn up in your life. It, you know, I was, it is only now looking back that I can look and say, okay, this is particularly weird because before I turned 21, I had this teacher at high school who was, you know, I think maybe she was a member of Amork and uh, the ancient mystical order of Rosicrucians. And she was versed in you know, typical ceremonial magic of the day and, and psychic self-protection, that kind of thing. Um, I, I also became friends with a man named Walter who owned a conjure shop um, one town over from where I live and another woman who owned a botanica. So I would go into there and I would just talk 
you know, folk magic and hoodoo and root work um, with, with them. And then I would, I made uh, a friend with John Meerden Reynolds, the first uh, Westerner to be ordained as a Nakba, which is sort of part of how I wound up in Nepal uh, all those years later. And he, at first, I, I, I was not interested in Buddhism at first. I was interested in uh, Thelema and the OTO. So he hooked me up with the people in New York. Uh, this is early days of internet. So you couldn't just get online and have all your questions answered within an hour. Uh, it took some work to get a hold of people back then. <laughs> sure, and, sure. And so, you know, he helped me out. And then years later, when I decided to study Tantric Buddhism, he was my first call. Um, so, you know, I, I had witches and root workers and senteros and, uh, and, and a Tantric Lama all encountered naturally, all within, you know, mid just the middle of new jersey really like nowhere special like the only thing special about the town i grew up in is that there was a six flags <laughs> um but it all just coalesced right there in a short amount of time and all people that exhibited remarkable patience and interest in answering my questions and uh helping me along so I owe an immense debt to all of them. And, and during this time, were you having um, like a, like spirit interaction or were there were a lot of kind of, you know, those, I mean, you've already described a few of them, but the, the, the odd synchronicities that kind of kind of make your eyebrows go up a little bit and can you realize that things are, are a little bit more complicated than you would initially uh, think? I mean, did you, did those kind of, like like you described earlier, the the kind of the shadowy beings in the background, did they continue through throughout your, your your teenage years? No. So you know, they 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 went away when I was like six or seven. Um and they never quite came back, at least not in the same way. Uh but yeah, around the time that I started to practice magic, it didn't take long to get results from almost whatever I did. So, I mean, I remember the first demonic conjuration I ever tried to do, um, which was of Astaroth. Uh, and I was using a book called, it was like this cheap paperback called The Complete Book of Witchcraft or something like that. And um, Mostly it was just like bits and bobs from the the um, uh, Grimoire Verum. But I put it together and I worked what I could put together as hard as I could. And I did the best that I could. And I immediately got that sense of that spirit behind me. That was when she first appeared. Uh, was the sense behind me. But of course, now I had triggered the experience and I was practicing, you know, 
magic as best as I could manage in, in those days. So I was sort of like, nope, you know, in front, like, let, we're not, you're not running the show here now. Like I'm, I'm running the show here, uh, which of course is a little bit of a joke. Um, you're never just running the show unless you're really uh, using very, very forceful methods, which aren't always desirable even then. So, you know, just like with people, you may think you're, you're completely running the show, but you're never really completely running the show. But, uh, you know, the spirit did as it was asked. So it stopped being that shadowy experience and it started being uh, a spirit that I could see and speak to. Not as clearly as I can see and speak to you uh, over Zoom, uh, but still in all, uh, a being that at various levels, at various times, I could talk to and then repeated different experiences over the years with different spirits and in different modes of communication. Uh, and I learned that, you know, the spirits are real. Uh, there is an element that they show us and an element that they don't, the mode of communication that we use to contact them really matters in what we get. Uh, just like with people. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's like that. And, you know, sometimes the spirits say no. And then if we press the matter, uh, we have to really be willing to, uh, go to the measures that, that you would go to with a person if they said no. And you were like, Nope, I'm going to make this happen when, whether you like it or not. So uh, and and sometimes suffer the repercussions thereof. I, I was about to ask um, uh, that in, in in your opinion, is that an an unwise thing to do? I mean, equally forcing somebody to do something they don't want to do is for you know is is not particularly uh, pleasant or nice or, or ethical to, for uh, for a human being. Um, I assume the same for spirits. You know, I'm, I'm a situationalist. Um, you know, when you are, when you are, when we talk about whether it's ethical to compel somebody to do something, uh, versus not, it's, it's never that simple, right? It's like you wake up in the morning and you go to, I don't know, like Starbucks and somebody serves you coffee and they have agreed to be there, but they don't want to be there. <laughs> and maybe they don't want to be there that day, but they're being compelled by their contract to be there that day. And they're compelled to have that contract by the needs of society that say they are. Now, let's say you have a neighbor who they've decided that they want their house to be a big Airbnb. So suddenly you're living next to a frat house and you decide to take that neighbor to court. Well, you know, is it ethical to make them do what you want them to do? I would argue that it is because it's a, it's a, uh, it's a combative situation. It's a, it's a situation that is antagonistic right by its nature. And in those times, there's not really right and wrong. There's just winners and losers. Sure. 
And so with spirits, you know, if you if you trace the line of, say, the grimoires, right, you get back all the way down to the Testament of Solomon. And the Testament, where, where do these demons from the Testament of Solomon, what's the story? Well, it's an exorcism. They're doing an exorcism of a boy. And the exorcist gets the names of all the demons and the angels that control those demons and what they do and what they're good for. And he writes them all down. Um, but it starts off as a combative situation, like as a confrontational scenario. So when it comes to spirits, my attitude is always, I don't like more combative and confrontational situations in my life than I need. So I don't go into spirit work saying, all right, I'm going to compel these spirits to do what I want right off the bat. Right. I think it's bad form. I, I, I think it's not smart. Um, and there will be people who say, but that's the way the books are written. And so that's how we got to do it. And I would say, well, just because the book says it's done that way, it doesn't mean it's smart. But on the other side of the coin, I think you have to be able to do those things if you need to. Right. So it's sort of like if you want to get to know all your neighbors, you don't want to go off and be confrontational. But at the same time, if one of your neighbors decides to bring it, you have to be able to call the police or, or have some recourse uh, to defend yourself. So you have to learn those methods one way or the other. So for sure, um, it's never simple. It's, it's, it's with spirits. My attitude is, oh, I just wrote a book about spirits. It's coming out in May. And I could have subtitled it just like with people, because almost in every chapter, I'm like, just like with people, <laughs> like, this, like you handle this just like with people. It's complicated, just like with people. There are, there's not just the personality, but there's you and the situation and the mode of, co of communication. Then it's so just like with people, you know? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. So I want to um, move you uh, along into your, your mid-20s and talk about really what spurred you to go to Nepal and what was it look what were you looking for in Nepal that you couldn't find in say the Western traditions that you were already part of? Well, you know, um, it's, it's funny. I, I had done an operation called, um, the, well, the, the, the sacred magic of Abramelin the mage. And I did sort of, a a version of that, that, that Alistair Crowley, uh, dug and I got a result. And I was also at the time just looking for traditions that had teachers and protocols and something more than books. I think the Western magical tradition, uh, there's a lot of magical orders, but they don't go back very far. Uh, and a lot of them are based on some spurious 
notions, to say the least. Um, but there's, even then, it's mostly from books. So I wanted to experience what some of these living traditions were like, and especially in cultures that reflected these magical traditions in the wider culture. So at the time, uh, I was studying voodoo, and I was in touch. I wasn't studying under the direction of, he was just kind enough to email me and answer some questions, Max Beauvoir. And I was thinking about going to Haiti to study voodoo. And I went to uh, a ceremony in New York at a, at a pagan festival. And it was at that pagan festival that the answer from the Loa was more or less like, hey, this may be more high maintenance than you're going to keep up with. Not even that you can keep up with, but that you will keep up with. Like, we can, like you don't want to get involved necessarily because um, it's, it's not where you should go right now. And, you know, it's cool, you're cool, and, and what you've been doing so far is great. But, you know, maybe Tibetan Buddhism. And it was like hours later that I ran into a woman named Mishin Linden who had just come from a, a tantric empowerment with the Dalai Lama. And so we're talking and, you know, as these outdoor festivals tend to be, there might have been psychedelics involved and, and so on. And I just came back and I kind of knew I had to go and study Tibetan Buddhism. Um, and, and, you know, I, I was a fan of comic books when I was young. And so, you know, when Dr. Strange wanted to learn magic, he went East. When Dr. Doom wanted to learn magic, he went East. So it just seemed to make some sense uh, in comic book logic. <laughs> I love so, that. I absolutely love that. Yeah, you know, Mandrake the magician went to the Tibet. The shadow went to Tibet. Um, so you know, all of these uh, magical heroes of, of comic book lore uh, went to Tibet. So I'm like, yeah, you know, all right, fuck it. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to curse, so just bleep that out. But you can um, say whatever you like. <laughs> so you know, I went. Uh, I didn't immediately just pack up and go to Nepal, though. I, I contacted my friend John Reynolds, who I already knew, and he gave me some great advice um, and some great books to study. And then I went down to uh, Poolsville, Maryland, and I received uh, refuge and, and my first tantric empowerment, which was for Vajrakalaya. Uh, the the a deity is so most associated with the Purba, the three-sided ritual dagger, which is still a main practice of mine, um, my main tantric practice to this day. Um, and, you know, I studied for years uh, in the States. I, I, in, I lived, lived in Philadelphia at the time, and there was a, a Galupa Lama named Lobson Samten, who is very, very friendly, very forthcoming with personal instruction uh, that, you know, it, it was, again, it was almost miraculous uh, that, that these people lined up and these teachings lined up. Um, and that, but eventually, you know, you get, 
you ask these questions and they say, well, if we had more time, right? If this wasn't a weekend seminar, if this wasn't a, an empowerment with loads of people, like if you come to Nepal, come and ask questions there. And so after a few years, I said, well, this has really, uh, you know, captured me. And, and so I need to go and go where this is the thing. Go and meet the lamas that said, if you come to Nepal, I'll tell you more. And go meet other lamas that don't travel. Um, and, and go see what's what. You know, see what this is like in practice, in society. And, and uh, so I did. You know, in, in um, fall of, of uh, 1999, I think October, uh, I hauled off to Nepal and, you know, it wasn't long. It was like May 2000 that I came back. So it's, it's not like I was there forever. Uh, but it was, I had a, a fast track, uh, in that John Reynolds would vouch for me with some llamas and then some llamas just lined up, uh, you know, within a week of being in Kathmandu, I left Kathmandu to live with Nakba Kunzang Dorje uh, in Parping. And I lived there for a month, uh, which is just sort of like freaky, miraculous luck because he wasn't an easy guy to get for people to get to know. And, but yeah, I just, you know, I showed up and a few days later I was having drinks with a, a Western Lama, a Western Nakba, uh, Barte Dorje, who was living out there. And he invited me to come. He's like, you know what? You do Vajrakalaya. We're doing a three-day Vajrakalaya starting tomorrow. Why don't you come out and see? And then I did. And they gave me the the blessings to wear the Nakba shawl and, and Zen. And for the next several days, I, I did Vajrakalaya with all these llamas uh, sitting with them uh, as villagers came in and received blessings. And it was magnificent. And then I lived there for another month before I went back to Kathmandu and studied with some Bumpo llamas and, and uh, did some Dzogchen practice at the stupa and, and things like that. Um, Kathmandu is, is, is a really interesting city. Um, it, it's one of those cities in, I think, out of all the places I've traveled to, it was one of those places that when I got to Kathmandu, I, I actually was blown away by like, holy shit, I'm in Kathmandu, you know, <laughs> much, much like, um, much, really because of the reasons you already outlined about the kind of the idea of like the comics you grew up in, like Kathmandu and obviously Laza as well, represent these, these these incredible otherworldly cities, you know, particularly for Westerners. Um, but weird things do happen. And obviously kind of remarkable stuff happened uh, to you when you, you went in pursuit of that. Um, but, um, and I'm just looking on the map where uh, Parping is. And I, you, like from, from the States, had you traveled um, like into areas of say, like totally different cultures before, or was this your first time in, been really immersed in it in, in, in another culture. 
You know, when I was young, I went backpacking in Europe for a few mm-hmm. months, kind of like how, you know, just sure. you're, you're taking a break from college. So back in the nineties, it was let's go Europe. You get your copy of let's go Europe in a rucksack. And yeah. so, you know, the furthest East I had been was uh, Budapest. Right. Um, so yeah, this was my first, uh, I flew Pakistan international airline uh, I, I, the government was overthrown like <laughs> about an hour and a half after I bought my ticket. Like I'm literally like sitting, watching TV, uh, oh. talking about, you know, yeah, I just bought this ticket on Pakistan international airline. It was, it was like $500 less than anywhere else. What a deal. <laughs> you have to stay in Karachi for like 36 hours, but it's okay. You know? Yeah. Uh, cause money was tight. Yeah. And then, like, the news comes on. It's like, General Musharraf has just, you know, overthrown <laughs> the government of Pakistan. I was like, God damn it. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. Oh, my but, God. But you know what? Totally cool. Mm. Uh, it was, it was you know, as easy as a flight like that can be. Mm. It was. We arrived, and this $500, like, cheaper ticket right. included a, a hotel stay at a gorgeous marble. I couldn't believe it. I was like, you, you must... I think you have the wrong, like, Jason Miller, because my ticket is, like, you know, discount bargain basement. And they're like, no, no. You know, the hotel and and lobster dinner and everything, like, it's all included. And then the next day when we flew to Kathmandu after a little tour of Karachi, it was like, you know, they bumped up to first class because I was bigger, you know, a little heavy set. They're like, come on up, you know, (laughs) like... And that's, uh, that's, so, that's yeah. perfect. Amazing. I was like, wow. Yeah. No complaints there. No, no, no complaints about, uh, the, the pre nine 11 post mm. post Musharraf Pakistan and whatsoever. <laughs> but other than that, yeah. So that was my first and, uh, you know, and Kathmandu, it is overwhelming. You know, you mm. step off the plane at Tribune and you're like, Oh my God. Mm. Like just the smell of, exhaust and incense and people offering you everything under the sun uh just it yep. you don't even know where to start yeah it's, it's really overwhelming and that that's i think that's what's really striking me here is that you're basically within three days you've done the travel which is you know is it is a transformative and and you know pretty frightening experience in itself right like you know the, the people talk about getting the, the getting out of your comfort zone well you know traveling like that is comfort zone doesn't come into it <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then you arrive in Kathmandu and like three days later you're out in 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 Parping you know and with 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 llamas I mean that's that's remarkable so I, you know, I think I think on like I, if I remember correctly, I got there and I met this guy Steve Dignan on the plane, and he was arranging a bumpo retreat. Uh, so he had like the line on hotels in Tamil. So I think I stayed for two nights in Tamil at some like you know cheap hotel, and then everybody was like, you know, the Buddhist stuff goes on in Boda. So I got a room in Boda. So just a little further, I mean, technically, I guess some of you would consider part of Kathmandu. Sure. But so, you know, on the outskirts, the sort of the Tibetan area uh, of it, like that is Swayambhunath, those two stupas that kind of mirror each other. 
Um, so, you know, now I'm in Boda and I was in Boda for maybe a few days. So it, but it was within a week, like it was a week. And so I was at the double door J in Boda, uh, and I met Barche and he was like, come on out to Parping the next day. I was like, you know, and I had nothing going on because I was just sort of, I was still trying to get my bearings, like figuring out what's what, where's where. You didn't really have the internet, so it wasn't like stuff was posted anywhere. Um, I would just like walk up into Gumpas and be like, hey, so, you know, what's going on? <laughs> um, and John Reynolds had not come into the the the, the country yet. Um, so he wouldn't be there for another two months. And, but then, yeah, I would, off I was. And so a week later I'm up in Parping with, uh, a Nakbashal and, uh, all these other llamas. And, and it was, it was remarkable. It, it was absolutely amazing. Um, so yeah, the place was called Sogyal Gepeljong. And it was like a retired llama's home for, for non-monastic llamas. Uh, and I think it was funded mostly by Lama Tarchin here, in, 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 who was at that time in Santa Cruz, and he's, he's since passed. But uh, it was just sort of amazing, you know? It, 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 yeah. it's, I've had yeah. like this amazing sort of luck when it comes to getting instruction mm -hmm. and a little bit of training in how to ask questions and right. you know, like if you show up and you're like, so tell me about this thing I'm interested in, you're not going to get much of a response. It's too vague. It's too vast. You got to kind of ask targeted questions. So that's where the book learning comes in. Like you gotta, you gotta read and get to know a little bit. So then you can say, well, you know, this particular mantra, you know, how is it done exactly? What, what is its purpose? Where does it go in this sadhana? Um, and then that teacher has something where they can answer within a few minutes, and then you can get a back and forth going where you can learn stuff for hours, but they're interested as opposed to you just going and being like, so, you know, purbas, can you tell me about those? Uh, <laughs> you know, which is unfortunately yeah. what people do. And, sure. and I mean, it's what people do now that I teach magic. It's what people do with me. They, you mm -hmm. know, I'll get an email and be like, so like, Hecate, what's the deal? <laughs> it's like, and like I, you know, now I I don't even answer, but sure. you know, back in the day, it was just sort of like I, you gotta you gotta be more specific. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, you you're really bringing me back to to Kathmandu, and and I think for those listeners who have traveled extensively, will really kind of grasp how remarkable what you're describing is. Um, I mean, when I was in Kathmandu, I think almost ten years ago, it was pre earthquake. I'd just come from Varanasi where I was um, shooting a story uh, on the Agori and arrived in Kathmandu to meet my partner who we hadn't seen each other for a couple of months while I was, while I was working. And um, one of the things that really struck me about Kathmandu is, is it, ha it, it really kind of 
whatever you're looking for prepares the face for you in that regard. Like if you're there for the Himalayas, you can find North Face knockoffs, everything you want, right? It's, it's, it's all there. I think I still have. I think I still have some of it. <laughs> I think I still have all my North Face knockoff gear. Um, but one of the really cool thing uh, for me, and, and like just the, your 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 piece about comics really made me laugh because Gareth, or what's his name, um, Grant Morrison sp- uh, speaks about meeting aliens and the Grant Morrison. Mm. Uh, you know his experience in Varanasi. Yeah. It- I think it was Kathmandu. I think he had um, he was like a rooftop in Kathmandu. Um, you're right. You're right. You're yeah. right. Yeah. And um, smoking charis, and uh, I think it was charis, and, and and kind of met this kind of um, em, kind of embryonic intelligence. Um, and I sat. I remember sitting on a rooftop in, in Kathmandu on New Year's Eve, and you know I didn't meet any kind of um, alien intelligence, um, but just the experience of being there felt special just the, the experience of being there and kind of was transformative um yeah. and was 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 special um i did pick up um a lot of uh a, a lot of art from the area um you know there's this like the dealerships all over the place um catering oh, yeah. to tourists um and i got uh there was an elderly guy and he he looked for all intents and purposes do you remember um what's it called uh big trouble in little china Yes, I think you know, and you know the the kind of the the elderly Chinese wizard in that Egg kind of this, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this yeah. this el- this gentleman who who ran um, the the um, antique store uh, looked very similar to him, and um, so I was really kind of just uh, I was kind of in my element, kind of going, this is this is I'm surrounded by all this incredible like Tibetan and Nepalese um, artifacts, and we were just chatting for a while and he brought me down into the, into the storeroom in the basement. And you know, in the cabin do the power goes on and off all the time. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so it's just kind of this dusty room with, with a rows of shelves and shelves of like shamanic masks and all kinds of stuff and conch shells and, and, and then, and what have you. And the power goes. So we were just there with torches going through this enormous, <laughs> enormous basement of, of all these kind of antiques and um oh, it was just it was just so cool it was just awesome and um such an adventure i think that's the thing for me um with travel is that incredible adventure and that in itself what that does to you um and changes your perspective um and i was wondering do you have any kind of stories like that that kind of like are almost anecdotal but those small experiences that happen that are just ones that you kind of you look back on and go like that that was that was incredible that was amazing oh there there were a lot that i mean there there have been a lot but you know your power out story uh it reminds me when i was there there was this like super moon um I know that now, like, there's a supermoon every year, <laughs> but at the time, this was like a big deal. Like, the moon will be closer, and 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 so on and so forth. So, um, I was up with this girl, Marissa, I think her name was, and you know, on on the stupa at Bodanoth, you're only allowed up to a certain point. Like, you can't walk up beyond that point. Uh, they they don't want you to touch like the whitewashed area, the dome and stuff. Sure. And for good reason, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, these um, 
the these things deteriorate with too much tourist attention and so on. So uh, it's absolutely with good reason. Um, and we were up there, and the power went out. And but it was so insanely bright because of the moon. And I was just looking around Boda, and I was just like, my like you get little hints. I mean, it's all new shops and things like this, but the layout of the place is all built on hundreds of year old. The stupa is thousands of years. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're up there and she's kind of like, Hey, let's, let's, let's quick jump up to the level we're not supposed to go to. And so we did, we just kind of leaned back on the dome. Right. So we lean back on the dome for a second. And this is a terrible story to admit to, because really, like, if you're traveling, please, like, respect the, the rules that people put out uh, about their artifacts and, and antiquities and, and, and the care of monuments. This was I didn't I was wrong to do this, uh, but I did it. And I lean back and it was both of us. It was like the stupa went up and kind of just like wrapped itself around us in this weird way. And we both had these crazy visions of a, of this meditating corpse inside. And of course the legend is that the, the body of the Buddha who predates the Buddha Shakyamuni, who was the fourth, you know, Buddha, the Buddha that we all know as Buddha is the, is supposed to be the fourth Buddha, or the Buddha of this country. Right, okay. So the Buddha before him is reputed to be interred deep into the stupa. And we we felt this like immense like giddiness, this bliss and emptiness wash over us as we had this vision of this sort of like alien thing. And then uh, it was sort of like, okay, now get the fuck off my stupa. <laughs> like, you know, like you, you, you've had this experience. Like I reached out, you reached out and touched someone. Very nice to meet you. Now, you know, move along. Like, you Fantastic. know, you're not supposed to be up here. And, you know, so, uh, the, you know, there was that. But God, there, there were so many just things. I remember... You know, you never, there's always a, an idea in your head that whatever is going on with a religious ceremony is just, maybe it's all just in your head, you know? And I remember receiving, we were doing the, the empowerments for the Kama uh, at the Katok Gompa, which had just opened up. And the Moksa Rinpoche was giving me empowerments. This is like a month of empowerments. And he's doing them so fast. And in whatever kind of accent he had, even the Tibetans there had no idea like what was being given on any given day. They would have to like, look, like right. no one can understand him at all. And certainly I couldn't understand. But we're sitting there. And I mean, one like 
you sit there for most of it and you're just present for most of it. And then after a few days, you're sort of less present for most of it. Like, and then after like another week, like you're looking around and there's Tibetan families and they're there, but they've got like their own books and, and like people are monks are sitting there reading time magazine. And <laughs> You know, it's just sort of like, this is going on and you're sitting through it. And then at the end, when the llamas come around, and they give the empowerments that they received during the ceremony out to everyone in the crowd, right? So they come around with the, the special stuff that they've all been touched with to transmit it out to the hundreds of people that are there. And nothing will, nothing like made it more apparent that there is, that there is something what the Tibetans called chinlop is, is just real and visceral. Because it's like all of a sudden you've had like six espressos as these things sort of touch you, your body instantly changes. And you like, after hours of just sitting and being kind of uncomfortable and mildly irritated and kind of like, why do I do this to myself? <laughs> like sitting, you know, I don't even understand what's going on. And even the goddamn you know, Tibetans don't understand what the fuck is going on other than the Lama and his entourage. And so then you get this. And then all of a sudden it's like somebody just poured uh, this directly in through the crown of your head. And you're like, Woo, I feel great. Do you feel great? I feel great. Let's go get a cappuccino. I feel great. Like, let's just run home. And, uh, you know, and as soon as we get a cappuccino, let's go do these practices and sit down and meditate. Right. You know. Um, and so, yeah, just all kinds of these moments of, of things. And that, that photo that, that was passed on to you to see if you could identify it. That was one of these things I'm walking around Pashupadina. Uh, which I was there to meditate on impermanence, and but most mm -hmm. of the people, as you know, yeah. um, are practicing, uh, you know, Hinduism, mm -hmm. not not Buddhism. And so there's a, there's a variety of sadhus. Everyone from the guys that you know are sadhus for photographs <laughs> um, to the to the to the real sadhus that that are living there and they're teaching, and the milk baba is there and. Uh, you know, there's the uh, Agori whose whose name I can't remember, and he's you know walking around in black, and um, so, but then just one day I'm there, and this window is open. This this you know, not it's not like glass; it's just an opening, and there are these mummified sadhus, what looks like mummified sadhus in there, and I'm like, what the fuck is that yeah it's and incredible people around are like oh i don't know i've never seen it before in my life and i walk up and i'm like it i mean it seriously it was like a movie it was like yeah. this, this field of like like you're passing through this this membrane as i reached into the area to see if i could take mm -hmm. a photo um and it was it was remarkable and it was remarkably similar to, I hate to talk about like the qualities of energy. It sounds so new age and so just terrible, but there's not really too many other words for it. 
so like the quality of that um what was going on the only time that i can ever compare it is when a friend when i was a teenager you know showed me his nganga he was a, a practitioner of both candomblé and uh palomembe and so there was this element of that kind of um really advanced necromancy <laughs> um you know nothing you, you know people see the ngangas and they see that photo and they you know and i guess maybe they they get like associated with evil or or ooky spookiness but the spookiness comes from our discomfort with death absolutely um, and so once you wrap your mind around like hey like this is like if you want to look for the thing that we all have in common right like you want it's not the world doesn't all get a cope, but we all get to die. Um, so like every person that's ever lived at every part of the globe, like this is the unifying experience that we have. And once you get kind of comfortable with that, um, it stops being, it's still a little ooky spooky, but it's not evil. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. you distance it from that idea that like, oh, these people must be evil if they're mm -hmm. all. So it's not that at all, but it is definitely this quality of. Wow, there's some some post life stuff going on here right. that that's pretty heavy. Um. And then I never saw it again. I could never find it again. I'm sure it was never opened again. Mm -hmm. And I have, I've shown that photograph to God knows how many people um, who have been there way more than I have. Mm -hmm. uh, and nobody knows what it is. If I didn't have the photo, I would start to think I didn't see it at all. Sure. Sure. I think it was a delusion. I'm, so we we've gone for a while, uh, Jason. I was wondering if, the, if there's if people want to find out more about you and your work. Where's the best place to find you? Uh, StrategicSorcery.net. That's me. Mm -hmm. um, that's that's where I am, and it's the easiest place to find my blog, find the books, find any news of what's going on. Cool, cool. Um, and top tip is to not send any emails asking irritating questions about <laughs> Hecate and the purpose. You know, it's <laughs> like I it's so weird um getting a, whatever small amount of popularity that I've that I've received has kind of been like uh I have now I understand like why people like you just run out of time so you can't mm -hmm. write yeah. back unless they're already enrolled in a course but what if people have a question before they enroll in the course and and it's just sort of like you try um but i can't so uh and i'm not not quite ready to hire someone to answer for me you know like sure. that's like a leap of faith and 
that I'm not quite ready to take because I don't I'm not very trusting of people. <laughs> so uh yeah. So you know, if you write me, um try to be specific and, and pithy. <laughs> if you, like seriously, like people write with like a ten thousand word story, I just open it up and then I close the email back again. I'm like, okay, That's right okay. yeah. Uh, but if you write me a couple sentences, I will try to answer you that week for sure. Cool. Right. Well, well I'll put the link um, to your site in the show notes and, um, yeah. And if you are writing to Jason, please, please pay heed to what he's, what, what he's laid out. No essays and, uh, and no dumb questions. Um, Jason, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. I uh, really appreciate your time. And as uh, you've, you've really brought me back uh, to some of my travels. Um, and it's been so interesting to hear you reflect on, on your travels. Being, um, yeah, I have to go off and have a look at my photographs of Kathmandu now. Oh, you too. Your photographs are gorgeous. Oh, thank you so much. And just sent me right back. So <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. Brilliant. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Jason. You too. Take care. there you have it thank you very much mr miller um it was really lovely to to talk about travel and talk about nepal and just hear about jason's uh, amazing experiences truly remarkable stuff if you want to find out more about jason then do check the show notes all the uh, links to his work uh, can be found there all right that's it for me thank you <laughs>